All right, I'm going to talk quick, so you guys need to listen quick. All right. Um, <laughs> how are we doing? We warm? Are we warm enough? We had a problem with the heaters last week. I was freezing. I don't get cold, but I was, I was like, man, I'm cold. So we've cranked them this morning. Hopefully it's good. If not, just too warm. Too warm. Okay, you just can't please everyone, hey? Some are too cold, some are too warm. <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> um, this is my favourite topic, I think, to talk about. And um, I, I... Jesus loved talking about it, so we should. And, um, you know, Jesus came to do a lot of things... But I believe everything undergird by one thing, and that is he came to reveal a father. And he came to reveal who dad is, who father God is. And, and um, the world just needs a father. The world needs fathers. The world, but the world needs the father. Yep, amen. That's just good. That's good right there. And, uh, you know, the moment you take a designer, a creator, a father, out of the picture, you make God in your image. And that's not good. You know, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day. God said, let us make man in our image. And then out of the side, he took, you know, Adam's rib and, and formed Eve. And so God created male and female and he, he, he birthed humanity out of love. It wasn't like God was bored in heaven and needed something to do. You know, it's like, oh, he says, no, this is a really good idea. Let us, let us, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, make man in our image. And then they were created in the image of God. So the moment you take, do you know that word image is the word idol? It's the word idol. And so when God says, do not have other idols besides me, he's actually saying, do not put your place, do not replace me with you because I'm the one that created the perfect idol in humans. I hope you're catching this. Let us make man in our image, in our um, ideal view of humanity is I did it. So when we have an idol that is, is outside of the will of God uh, or we replace, put an idol there that shouldn't be there, we're actually saying we're God and we're creating idols. Does that make sense? Just don't do that. <laughs> Just don't do that. And so uh, God creates uh, man and woman and he does it out of love and he does it, but he, he, he knows in order to have true love, because how many know love doesn't seek its own? Yeah, are you with me? So love does not seek its own. Love is, it, it's, it's, it's 1 Corinthians 13 is a, is a great picture of love and love doesn't seek its own. So love in and of itself has to have the ability to choose. So love chooses. Love is like, I'm going to choose to love you. It's not a gun to the head that says you have to love God 
Um, but, but God says, all right, in order for you to choose me, there has to be the ability not to choose me. All right, I know this is all, all pretty, pretty like we're, we're all on top of this, but I just feel to hit this again a little bit. But, uh, and so God puts a tree or he puts multiple trees, but he puts a tree in the middle of the garden and he doesn't child proof the garden. He's like, all right, here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that one. You can have free reign of everything else. You can eat the tree of life. You can do this. You can have this tree, whatever other trees. Just do not eat that one. But as humans, and I don't, obviously I wasn't there in the garden, but so often, so often we, we, it's like we try not to sin. It's like, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And then we end up doing the thing we're trying not to do. There was a study done in America where they, they interviewed 2,000 people and they said, uh, I think it was like 95% of those people said, I don't want to be like my parents, ended up becoming like their parents because they're focusing on the very thing that they're trying not to become. Right? And so here God's like, do not, don't eat of this tree. So what is he doing? He's, he's not child-proofing the garden, but he's allowing Adam and Eve choice. Because he wants relationship. By the way, Carly, I had a word for you. I, I just heard the Lord say, um, it, I got your name right. Yeah, good. Oh, praise God. <laughs> I was, yesterday I was playing soccer and I kept calling the ref George. At the end of the game, he's like, my name's Rob. I was like, I was like awesome, awesome. Um. We had, we had a good laugh about it. But anyway, I, I, I just heard the Lord say in worship, he's like, tell Carly that the fight for life is over. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means. If it's not the Lord, flush it down the toilet. But anyway, the fight for life is over. That's just what I heard. So we can talk later. <laughs> um, anyway, so back to this. Just extend, actually extend your hands to Carly and, and Elliot. Father, we just thank you for, for this couple. Lord, we just thank you. We bless them uh, in, in whatever it is that God wants to do in their life. And we just thank you that, that uh, whatever it is they've been contending for, fighting for, they no longer have to fight. The Lord says, I, I will do it. I will fight on your behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so they're the tree... And they, they obviously they choose to eat of the tree. And listen, listen to what listen to what happens when they eat of the tree. But the Lord God, this is Genesis three. But the Lord God, the, uh, sorry. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" And he said, Adam said, "I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid." Because I was naked and I hid myself. How many know that previously to that happening, the Lord would walk in the cool of the day with Adam. That word is the word that the Lord would walk in the Ruach of God with Adam. In the breath of God would walk with Adam, right? And God would come to the garden and probably be like, Hey, Adam, let's go for a walk. And he was naked and not afraid. But now he's, he's 
disconnected himself from the Lord, from his father. He's done something and he, because he's eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now he knows and all of a sudden he hears the Lord and what does he think? He's feeling guilt, shame, condemnation, not from God, but from sin. And he realizes and he hears God, hey, where are you? And he's like, I hid myself from you. Rather than running to him. He's like, he hid himself and he was afraid and, he, and he's like, I'm naked. Well, you were naked before. I hate to tell you that, Adam. <laughs> and so, but what does God do? What does this good father do? He kills, a car, he kills an animal and clothes him. Mate, if that's not a picture of the Lord, that, that's like the first instant of that. That is a clue to what the Lord will do one day. That there'll be a lamb that will be slain, that will be naked on a cross, that you, he will become naked and slain so you can become clothed and un, unshameful. Come on. Because that's what a good father does. A good father, I read Genesis for years and I was like, man, Adam and Eve kicked, uh, God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. Have you read it? He doesn't kick them out of the garden to punish Adam and Eve. He kicks them out of the garden to protect them. Because a few verses later, he says, if they had have eaten from the tree of life, they would be forever in that state. So he's like, they're in a sinful state. They're in a disconnected state. I'm already in, he'd already put in motion the redemptive recovery, victorious plan for humanity to get his children back. And he says, all right, I'm going to kick you out of the garden to protect you. I'm going to put the cherubim around the, the tree of life so that you don't eat it in this state. But there will be a day when I send me as a human being so that the sons and daughters of God, of man, can become the sons and daughters of God again. Yes, Liam, that's really good. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> And so here we have the, 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 you know, it says, the next verse there with, with Adam, he says, the man's, God asked him the question and he says, the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. What, is, what, are, what do we do in humanity so often when there's something in our life that the Lord is highlighting and we're pinpointing and putting our finger on or using uh, the Lord's disciplining something in our life? We so often we're like, wasn't me, it was the woman. Wasn't me, it was the man. Wasn't me, it was my mum's fault. It was my dad's fault. It was my upbringing. Whatever reason, whatever excuse. There isn't an excuse or a reason that you have when you're looking at the cross that can say, I can't be free. I can't be delivered. I can't be a, a, the person that God has called me to be. When you're looking at the cross and Jesus on it, what excuse have you got? There is no excuse that we could possibly say. All of those things might be real. They might, you might have had a terrible upbringing. You might have had terrible things happen to you. They're not, I'm not discrediting them. But what excuse is there when you're looking at the Son of Glory on the cross who resurrected to give you life and life abundantly? I mean, what are we going to say one day when we're face to face with Jesus? Well, I just, you know. He's like, yeah, I know, but I know. I did. Which is awesome because then it's not about our works, it's about His. 
Anyway, I'm just, I'm a tiny bit passionate about this. So, and then he says, the, uh, the, the woman who you gave me, she, she gave me the fruit. Then the Lord said, uh, the Lord God said to the woman, what is that that you have done? And then the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Blame. Blame passing. <laughs> Straight away. And we see that. And then let's, let's go to... Uh, Let's go down to Luke 4. Let's jump to Luke 4 because this is a, a picture of, of, uh, of the second garden and the second Adam. Psalm 68 says that the Father, that God is a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home and he leads out prisoners to prosperity. That is a good promise over your life that if you're alone or you're feeling shameful or you're feeling guilt or condemnation, that God comes and he's the father to the fatherless and he brings you out of poverty into prosperity. I'm not just talking about finances in every area of your life. That he takes you from the pit of hell and he doesn't just bring you back to like equal playing field. He's like, I'm going to make you a son or a daughter of God and I'm going to bring, bring you into a prosperous life. Right? See, Adam and Eve, we'll get, to, we'll get to Luke 4 in a second, but Adam and Eve were created by God out of love. Love created Adam and Eve. Then the disconnect happened with sin, and then God says, all right, now I'm going to rescue my children, but I'm still going to give you a choice. I'm still going to let you choose. I, we're going to look at it in a second, but in Ephesians 1.5, it says that God has predestined us to adoption. That means he has decided, I love you no matter what. When Charlie was my oldest, was in the, in the womb, God said to me, he said, Liam, I love that, you love that child 100% and it hasn't performed a single day in its life. Hasn't done anything to earn your love, deserve your love or anything. It's just in the womb. I said, yeah. And he says, that's how I see every person on planet earth. Whether they know me or they don't know me, I love them 100%. That means, church, he loves the Christian exactly the same as he loves the non-Christian. Oh yeah, but they're in sin. Yeah, they just don't know the love of the Father. That's the only difference between you who is a Christian and those who, are, who don't know the Lord is somewhere on the trajectory of your life, you said yes to being adopted and you made a decision and a choice because you had an encounter with the love of God and they haven't. Or maybe they have and they've just rejected it. I don't know. All right. That got you awake, <laughs> right? So that, that means, do you know Jesus was tempted, it says, in every single way, yet did not sin? That means you can put every temptation of sin in there. I know that's offensive. But that means there wasn't a sin that Jesus didn't conquer on the cross. All right, let's go to Luke 4.
How are we doing? Good. Sorry, that was internal dialogue for me. <laughs> I'm just talking about the time. Anyway. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, verse 1, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Is temptation sin? No. Otherwise, Jesus was a sinner. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I just like that. Jesus is humanity at play right there. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, don't worry about the babies crying. It does not affect me at all. All right. He didn't say that. That's not in Luke, 3, Luke 4. All right. So the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. What's the devil doing? The same trick that he did with Adam and Eve. He said, you, if you eat of this, you will surely not die. You will be like God. How many know they were already like God? They were created in his image and his likeness. They performed to get something that they already have, which took it away from what they already had. Here, he says, turn this stone into bread. Perform, do something to become like God. But he is like God. He's the son of God. He is God. Right? And so he answers and he says, a man doesn't live off bread alone, but of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the devil took him and showed him, and it goes on. We know the kingdoms, we know, we know the, the high places. And then he says, you know, depart from me. And, and Jesus comes up, comes out of the wilderness. What was the last thing that Jesus heard from his father before he goes into the wilderness? You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Tell me what Jesus did in ministry up until that point. Nothing. Do you know the only thing we know from the time of Jesus' birth and the time of Jesus' ministry is one thing. We know one thing about the life of Jesus and that was that he lost his parents. Huh? Well, his mum, he lost his mum too. They, were, they, they lost Jesus, right? I know my Bible. <laughs> and they said, where is Jesus? He says, I'm in my father's house. I'm about my father's business. Adam lost God. Joseph and Mary lost God. <laughs> and he was about his father's business. Do you know Jesus had a stepdad? That's just bizarre. Joseph. I reckon they had an awesome relationship. I just do. I just reckon Jesus and we don't know a lot about, about Joseph, but I just reckon they just had a really good relationship. So here we have the second wilderness where Jesus conquers the devil, not out of performance, but out of what his father had said to him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then we begin, he begins his ministry from that moment on. It says he starts to proclaim the kingdom. He gets his disciples and he starts to teach and preach about the kingdom of God. And all of those things are undergirded by the fact that Jesus is out to reveal who the Father is. He says, I've come. He says, if you've seen me, what does he say in John 14? If you've seen me, 
You've seen the Father. So that means everything that Jesus did, the woman caught in adultery, that is a father-daughter moment. They bring her to him and they want to stone her. And he's like, hey, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. He's not like, hey, that thing you're doing, it's awesome and just keep doing it. He's like, no, come close to me because what does sin do? It separates you from the love of God. And so often we want to run from God as opposed to run to him. But when the perfect image of God finally jumps on the scene, the ones that are so adamant and angry at this one who claims to be God are the ones that are in churches and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of the day. They're so adamant that this is not God because it's so scandalous what he's doing right and they're so angry but the ones that know they need a savior are the ones that come running to him because they don't need to be convinced of their sin they're like hey i know i need to be forgiven and i know i need to be adopted into the kingdom of god so you and i as 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 you people post the cross we get to be adopted into the kingdom of God. And what does that mean? That means God's predestined, Ephesians 1, he says that you would be adopted in and there is a response that is required that we say, yes, I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want the Father of God to love me. So you can be fully in the kingdom. You can be adopted in. You can be fully saved, fully sanctified, fully set apart, and you can still live like an orphan. And that's just a bummer. All right, let's go to John 14 real quick. Two more, two more passages and then we're going to be done. Do you know it would be super strange if Charlie or Alira or Isla or one of my kids came to Dean and said, hey, could you... Um, could I, could I make a request to my, to my dad? Could you go to, to Liam and ask him if I can have um, some cookies from the cupboard? That would be odd. But we do that in Christianity. We're like, oh, I'm not saying anyone in this room does it, but this is for all your friends outside in other churches. It's it's like, it's like I you know Liam and Dean will, and, and Lisa and the, the 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 paid Christians they'll be the ones that'll go to God and and we'll come to them on a Sunday. I I really believe Judas portrayed Jesus with a kiss because he wanted intimacy without covenant. He was fully in. He was fully in. He was a part of the inner sanctum of Jesus and he still missed it. That should scare us a little bit in a good way. But he wanted intimacy without covenant and the Lord, I just am so convinced, you know, well, you do not need to be a prophet right now to realise that the world needs fathers and mothers. The world needs sons and daughters. It doesn't need... It doesn't need just like 
more Christian rhetoric. It needs the love of a father who is abandoned to get his children back, who is in a violent pursuit that anything that gets in the way of love, he will violently go after because he wants his kids back. You can't tell me there's a father in here that if their kids went missing or something happened to their kids, they wouldn't be Liam Neeson on steroids. You can't tell me that. And that's a human. Sorry, anyone that hasn't seen the Taken. Taken, whatever it's called. Anyway, John 14. Uh, where Where do we start? Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had just good, just pause, there's just not another way to God. It's only through Jesus. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have you been with you so long and you still do not know me Philip whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father do you not believe that I am the father and the father is in me the words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority but the father who dwells in me does his works then go down to verse 15 he says if you love me you will keep my commandments Uh, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even of the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you and will come to you. Yet in a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, I also, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Hmm. And he goes on, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. That whole passage is about the Holy Spirit. And he says, he, he, he starts it off and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a, a mansion for you with many rooms. And then he starts to talk about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming to live in you. The point, the point is, Adam and Eve were born out of love. You and I were born into the world disconnected from a father who loves us. And at some point in our life, we were born into sin, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. So the purpose is the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. Are you with me? John 4, he, John 14, he says, I'm going to prepare a place with many rooms. And then he says, it's better that I go. What does that mean? That means I'm going to leave an inheritance. Because that's what fathers do. When the father dies, they leave an inheritance that is hopefully better than what they have got currently. Right? So he says, it's better that I go. Because when I go... The Holy Spirit, it won't just be Jesus on planet earth. It'll be the Holy Spirit that'll actually not just, not just band-aid your sin, but it'll actually remove your sinful nature out of you. You'll be transferred from the domain of darkness, which is the rulership of the father of lies. 
You'll be, un- you'll be no longer under that father, but you'll be transferred into the king's domain and you'll be a part of a father crying, Abba, Father, adopted into the kingdom of his beloved son. And the inheritance that you get, which is the fullness of God, is in the Holy Ghost. Right? Amen. <laughs> So the fullness is in, the fullness of God, the place that He prepared. Because when He leaves, the place that He prepared, He's talking about is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He says, "I, I, know, I believe in heaven. Don't worry about that." But the Holy Spirit comes back and He says, "I'm going to deposit everything you need inside of you, and I'm going to adopt you into the kingdom if you'll say yes." Romans eight fifteen. It says, "We cry out, Abba, Father." Jesus, in Matthew 6, what did he teach us to pray? Our great Lord, our judge, our high priest, our... No, he said, our father. It was the invitation into a family with a father who is radically in love with you, not because of anything that you have done and you can never please him more or less because he has predestined to love you from the beginning. Come on. All right, Luke 15 this is our last verse and then we're going to we are going to close. We have to as why am I preaching this? I'm preaching this because we have to I'm just so convinced that if we understand the goodness of a father and we understand his kindness, we will actually see many, many people saved because it'll be his kindness that leads people to repentance and the church uh, will represent the Father well and they won't be known for what they're against, but they'll be known for what they're for, right? And I'm I'm against things. So I'm not saying we don't be against things. I'm against certain things. But I tell you what I'm for. I'm for people coming to know the love of the Father. That doesn't mean I compromise. I've got strong values, strong things. But I want people to know a Father that loves them and adores them and is for them. And he's he's not, I'm telling you right now, there are so many Christians, they are so busy fighting Christians on social media. They are so busy nitpicking other Christian things. Please just do something better with your life. Like you've been set free to transform the world. I get phone. I used to get phone calls all the time when we planted this church. I don't anymore. Praise God. Maybe they just got the hint. Oh, this phone call. This one guy. I remember one time. He's like, "Hey, da da da. You know, I, I'm new in town and I'm new to this area and I'm looking for a church." And I'm like, "Yeah, awesome. If you want to come along, this is kind of who we are." And he said, "Oh, oh." And he goes, oh, I heard you're, uh, you, you, you know Bill Johnson. And I went, oh, here we go. <laughs> and, and, he said, and he just, he just started to yell at me over the phone. And he just started to get vile on the phone. You're a heretic. You're a this. You're a false prophet. You're no, 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 no. He's going absolutely bonkers. And I just said, hey, listen, man, I'm actually just a child of God. And I said, why don't you just go and love your neighbour and see the gospel of, of the kingdom of God advance and stop fighting Christians and just do something with your life. God bless you. Have a great day. Right? 
But what's the point? The point is sons and daughters of God, they don't worry about that stuff. They don't worry. I'm not out here to impress you, impress you. And I'm not definitely not here to impress you either. I'm not out. I'm here. I'm here because I'm, I'm a son of God and I'm following him. And I have direct access to the Father and you have direct access to God. You don't need to come through me. You don't need to come through Dean. You don't need to come through Lise. You don't need, it's not about nitpicking Christians. It's not about how good you are or what stage you're on or what ministry you've done or what you haven't done. It's about are you loved by your Father and have you said yes, period. There is not one of us that can boast. None of us can boast in God. Come on. You can't put your life, you, it's like I can't put my life up against Dean and be like, well, Dean's doing way more and he's seeing way He's taller, he's better looking. not because what we do so many Christians we try and imitate and measure up against other Christians or we try and blame like Adam we're like oh it was it was the woman that did it it was this person that made me do it oh they've got better theology or they've got this or then we're comparing against each other we're fighting each other in the Christian world and we wonder why the the world looks like hell when we're so busy fighting ourselves or God we're fighting against God or we're fighting this and we're like hey no, listen, you've been adopted into the kingdom of his beloved son. You're accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted. There is nothing you did to get that acceptance. It was all because of this one called Jesus. He accepted you into the kingdom. He has made you righteous. He's made you holy. He's the only one that can wash your sins away. He's the only one that can set you free. There isn't another. It's only him. And he says, I want to adopt you in, but you need to say yes. Otherwise, you'll live as an orphan in the kingdom and you'll miss what I have for you. And I've given you my Holy Ghost to raise you up and for you to live like a son or a daughter of God. And for what, what comes out of your mouth to be what I speak, what I say. The next part in that John 14, he says, if you ask whatever you want, it'll be done for you. That doesn't mean you ask out of a genie in a bottle. That means you're so connected to a father that adores you that you catch his heartbeat and you can be like, that's the Lord. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. That's what Paul said. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's not arrogance. That's just godly confidence. And this comes through sonships. It comes through being accepted. In the beloved, it comes through knowing you have a father that is so for you. He's so radically in love with you. I'm going to do it for, for, I need some water. I'm like. Luke, Luke 15, we know the story of the prodigal son. Actually, let's go there. Was that okay? I'm, I'm like, I don't apologize, but I just, we need to get this because I just, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really, he's just so good. He is just so good. And he leaves an inheritance to his children. 
And But you can have the inheritance right there. You can have the fullness of God right there. And you can miss it. Because you're still thinking the orphan mentality. And do you know you've been... Oh, do I open that up? No. no. You, Adam and Eve didn't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in them. They were innocent. They were fully like God. But the holy, the resurrected power of God actually lives in you. God always restores to a greater level. Always. Who's your, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? It's, I'm serious. Who's your papa? Is it the father of lies? Is it your money? Is it your performance? Is it your family? Who's your father? We settle that. The rest follows. Let's read this. I know I've gone along, I know. But the parable of the prodigal son. And he said, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. And the, could I get maybe weeks on the keys? And the younger of them said to his father, that, that the Simon on the keys will just help me finish, all right? <laughs> the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. What's he asking? He's asking, could you be dead so that I could have the inheritance? Right? That's what he's asking. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods and the pigs that he ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What's he doing? That is the father of lies. Yes, he's come to his reason, but it's the father of lies speaking to him, saying, hey, you're not worthy to be called a son of God. You're not worthy because of what you've done. That's what the devil does. The devil says, you're not worthy because you sinned. You're not worthy because you live like this. You're not worthy because you don't, you know, you know what, I know what you do in secret, but no one else knows. You're not worthy. That's the devil lying to try and get him to stay away from his father. Right, And he says, uh, so that's what he thought he was going to say to, to his father. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He runs out and embraces him and kisses him. But what's he doing? He's kissing him because he's saying, I'm welcoming you back into the family. I love you. I adore you. I don't care what you've got to say. Just come. He stops him from saying something that he might regret, right? He kisses him and he runs to him, right? And he says, uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he doesn't even answer him. He says, bring quickly the best robe. What's the robe represent? Royalty. Righteousness. 
It's the covering. He would have been broken, probably starving, and he's covered him. He's protecting him. Love covers a multitude of sin, church. Love covers it. It doesn't expose it all the time. I believe in dealing with sin. I believe in addressing it. But love covers it. He brings the robe, brings the ring. What's the ring represent? The bank card of heaven. You now have the signature ring that you can go out into the marketplace again and buy and purchase. And he says, and the shoes are the feet on his feet. What's the shoes? The shoes represent purity, but they also represent, hey, you have permission to go again. I'm not going to child-proof this house. I'm not going to control this house. I'm not going to bring fear into this house. You can go again if you wish. You're free to do whatever you want. But I love you. That's what he's saying. And then he says, let's kill the fattened calf and let us eat and celebrate for this is my son. This is my son. This is my son. He says it. This is my son. He is dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, you brother, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. The father came out and and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you uh, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came home, son of yours, did you realize? Not my brother, it's your son. But when he was devoured your property with prostitutes, You killed the fattened calf for him and he said to him, Son, you were always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this is your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost and he is found. I believe that parable is about the two sons, not just the prodigal coming home. It's about the one that's in the kingdom, fully in, that is so busy looking and comparing. Oh, well. That sermon that Liam preached last week, it wasn't quite theologically this and I disagreed with that and whatever. I'm not against bad theology. I'm against that we have a responsibility to preach correctly and to preach what's in the word. But it's not my job. I am not the legal police of heaven. It's my job to be accepted by my father and then to love people well. And it's not my job to compare like the the son in the house that has everything. It's my job to when one comes to the Lord, I celebrate and I say, there's a son or a daughter who is lost and they're found. They belong as much in the kingdom of God as you do, as I do, because the fattened calf who's Jesus was killed for every single person on planet earth so they can be adopted back into a family who loves them and adores them and who has a family who has a family why don't you stand just so you know I'm not having a go at anyone but if the shoe fits just take it off 
all right, that's just, you know, I'm, I'm not, this isn't, I, I never would attack someone or anything like that, but I, 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 uh, I, want, I, I, I preach like this because I want us as a church to, to grab a hold of the Father's love and, and to actually embrace it and say, hey, I'm accepted, period. I'm accepted, period. It's not because of what I've done. It's not because of how good I can, you know, preach or not preach. It's not how good I can worship on stage. It's not how good I can do whatever. It's be- simply because He predestined us to be adopted in as children. There is nothing that little banjo can give right now to Danny and Greta, make him love him more or less, probably makes them tired, probably makes them maybe frustrated at times. Why isn't he sleeping? Why isn't he doing this? But they have absolute adoration and love for that little one. And he didn't do anything to deserve that love. And that's the way the Father sees you. Let's just grab a hold of this church. Let's grab a hold of the absolute love and adoration for God simply because it's who he is, that he's a good father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the father, period. Full stop, no question marks, no buts, no ifs, no whatevers. He wants to kiss you this morning, church. He wants to kiss you and embrace you so that you would come back into intimacy and covenant, not just intimacy out of what you can get, but out of intimacy and covenant relationship. And we've got to be really careful with this because if if we become intimate because of what we can give or what we can get, when we're not intimate in a covenant relationship, there's a word for that. Or we give money, or if I give more money, maybe I'll get more. If I do this, maybe, no. Everything you have is by God's grace and because you've been adopted in, period. All right. Put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, I just thank you right now for the adoption of sons and daughters. For the Creator Father, that He would be known in our hearts, not just as judge, not just as Lord, not just as Saviour. Yes, He'd be known as all of those things, but we would have a greater revelation of the Father of Heaven who has sent His Son to redeem humanity and to bring His children back to the Father so that the Father can walk in the cool of the day with His children again. That I just pray there'd be many parties in, in the natural and in the heavens that would, would be many fattened calves that would be slain and there'd be parties that would be celebrated and that the Lord is covering you with a robe and he's giving you a ring and he's giving you shoes and he's saying, hey son, you have been made righteous. Daughter, you've been made righteous. You have got the ring. You have got your shoes. You are in the kingdom of God. You have been adopted in and everything in the pantry, everything in this house is yours. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to earn it. It's been given as the free gift of righteousness, the free gift of grace. And you have full access to the one who owns it all. You have access to the Father because of the Holy Spirit who's in you. I pray that would become a reality in all of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
We just want to make sure we always give some time for ministry. So um, can I have the prayer team? We have a really great prayer team, um, people that we know and trust. And guys, you know, that, there was a lot in that. If you were just aware at, a ta- at times where you're like, oh, that's, that's a thing for me, or even just like the love of the...